Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Hey, welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Of course, support all the people that support the pod. Check out the Facebook page at drdrew.com. Well, get, check out drdrew.com. Check out the Facebook page. Check out what look look out for the Facebook Lives. I'm going to try to get a Snapchat thing going for uh, something to respond to the need for a more love line type education out there. I promise I will do that. Also, check out the YouTube page. Get the other pods. We have the new pod with Mike Catherwood, the Swole Patrol. But I want to get right to my guest because I've been excited to talk to Sam for quite some time. Sam Quinones, he has written the book. I I, I can't even I, – I don't have words to describe my enthusiasm <laughs> for this book. It is called Dreamland, the True Tale of America's Opiate Epidemic. It's available on Amazon. You can follow Sam at Sam Quinones at uh, samquinones.com or Sam Quinones 7 at CamSignonis7 is the Twitter, SamCignonis.com is the website. Yep. And um, you may or may not like this, but uh, I was talking to Ann Coulter on a radio program, and she said, and she goes, <laughs> you need to read Dreamland. I go, and then I... Oh, that's actually, great. Actually, Were you I, kidding me? Actually, I put the word in her mouth, and she goes, this is the greatest book of the last five years. And I said, yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And well, that's nice of her. I'll have to talk with her at some point. Okay. So, no, she's she is chanting it, and then Greg Gutfeld went off on it, too. So mm-hmm. people are starting to talk it's been out for two three years though right it's uh three years uh in april uh, yeah. i finally got to it this year and it was because i was starting to write about the opiate epidemic and a lot of what i was motivating me to write is i was so frustrated with the way the world was seeing the epidemic as strictly the fault of the drug companies and i mm-hmm. knew that i knew they were duplicitous in the whole thing but it was not what happened no there's a lot of it a lot of other things a lot of other things and you nailed it you just nailed it and then I heard you on Econ Talk. Where, was it Econ Talk? I was there, yeah, yeah sure. Where you, or Mark Maron, one of the two. No, it was Those Econ Talk where you yeah. laid it out, you know, the, the story. And uh, and I thought, we got to get on this podcast and let me lay it out for my audience. Well, thank bit. you very, very much, Drew. It's really he, nice he, of you to do, you, Even if after today, we're going to focus on the doctor part of this because that's what I lived through. And sure. it was horrifying. It was the most unbelievably frustrating, miserable experience of my life. It's really what sort of wow. drove me out of the field a little bit because there's, there's a couple little things threads in there you you didn't get that I'll yeah. give you uh-huh. as uh, somebody who had to experience it, but you got the big beats, and nobody else seemed to get it or understand it. And I was condemned for years for fighting it. I fought yeah, it from the I beginning. I think a lot of doctors felt that as well. Yeah, you, but, but it got to the point where it became frightening. Yeah. Because not only do you have JCO and the state medical societies coming down on you with the pain is the fifth vital sign and that sure. bullshit, but- they started prosecuting doctors for inadequate treatment. We can say bullshit here on this. Yes, thing? you can say okay, bullshit. Fine. Just, uh, Inad- just inadequate treatment of pain. They were taking doctors to court and not giving yeah. them malpractice, but civil and criminal penalties. Right. And so at that, when that threshold got crossed, that's where we all went. Well, if you have pain and you don't like what I'm doing, see a pain specialist. And the pain specialist just took them into outer space. I, I had right. S- exactly. So many people just uh, yeah. lives have never been the same because of it. Sure. So could you lay out a little bit for my audience what what you wrote about? You, sure. There's, there's, I'm going to make that. I don't want you to tell the heroin story. I want them to have okay. to read the book for the heroin. Okay, story. Okay, fine. So get Dreamland. It's there's two big overlapping stories that he tells. One is 
how the heroin epidemic broke out and who delivered and how, what the economics right. of that yeah, was. That's really how I got into the story I because I was from I lived in Mexico for ten years and wanted to write about Mexican drug trafficking. I really had zero interest ever in my career about writing about healthcare yeah. or doctors or any of that. But you got deep in. Well, I, I had to because you can't write about the spread of heroin in America today to Alabama. To yeah. Vermont, yeah. to Oklahoma and Utah, without first talking about what happened with pain management in America and doctors and uh, the pressures that they felt, and, and basically, How what did I you tr- first realize that. It was well into it. Uh, I did not know when I started this book. I did not know what an oxycontin, what, what a Vicodin yeah. was. I just had zero connection with that it was all about mexico and yeah. the interface with america and that yeah. all, all that kind of stuff and, and so if, you, if you'll permit me when yeah. you get to the little areas where i want to add some add some elements to stuff that sure. you might not be aware of because you weren't living it like i was i'm going to throw it in but go ahead fine, fine. yeah feel free to just uh throw it all in no yeah. problem uh so basically um my feeling was that there was a um there's basically a revolution in this country, quiet revolution in pain management. Took place beginning, you could say, like in the in the late 80s, beginning, and then really got a lot of momentum in, through the 1990s. And this held that we were a country in an epidemic of pain, that we treated pain very poorly. And I, I, that was actually true. There, 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 was not, uh, there was not a lot of knowledge about how to do it um, well. Um, and, and the people who were making this argument primarily were... Uh, uh, pain specialists, doctors who had specialized in pain management, and then they were joined kind of as allies uh, by the uh, the pharmaceutical companies, the companies making uh, the narcotic painkillers, and and they the pain specialists were making the argument: we need to make greater use of these pills. We need to be, be very don't worry about the risk because the risk is minimal, and began to make the argument. I think pushed by their own fervor, their own kind of revolutionary zeal, that no, these pills. Whenever you hear a doctor is staking their career on something, run, yeah, be careful. Run, run. Uh, yeah. So a guy named Portnoy was the was Russell the, Portnoy, yeah. uh, very erudite, very. A very, um, you know, uh, uh, practice fellow, very uh, 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 remarkable career, uh, began to make, almost like kind of a cheerleader that we needed to knock down these old barriers to the use of narcotics. They're not addictive if you treat pain. Non-addictive. I I heard a thing the day where a a pain fellow was told by his attending that they can't be addictive because the pain absorbs the addictive potential of the opiate. It's the the insanity of these. Well, you know what I think happened was I think that there there was some people for whom that's true and then a lot of people for whom that's not true. Well, they're not addicts. And you can't – you need to figure that out. It's very hard to figure out who is who ahead of time. We just behaved, I think, as a culture behaved as like – it was, that, that was true for every human being uh, yeah. in, in the country. And that well, was when we got into, into trouble. Right. And so the, the, the group started spreading. They started getting enlisting the state medical societies, the boards. All of that. Is, uh, the institutions of medicine uh, kind of were brought on. And yes. JCO, the hospital accreditation uh, a- agency, uh, and, and the VA and the American Pain Society, all of them began to make the ar- argument you mentioned earlier that pain now really needs to be considered uh, a vital sign. A vi- the a vital, fifth vital sign. The fifth uh, vital sign and that this is um, you know, a vital sign like, like pulse, something you would measure someone's As important life. as breathing. Right, Think about exactly. that. Think right. about that. Uh, How uh, insane uh. that is. But the, the, the problem, too, is that unlike the other vital signs, this one became a vital sign that you wanted to knock down to zero. 
Right. Obviously, you don't want to knock your pulse right. It's also down. completely non-objective. It's a well, subjective Of description. course it's not. You can't right. measure it every day. You yeah. can't measure it objectively. But the other weird thing seemed to me was, well, if it's a vital sign, why would you want to knock it down? To, I mean, no other vital sign do you want to walk, knock down. Pulse, you want to knock down to zero. You're dead. You're dead you know? I remember so. when they, so they started forcing doctors to go to these pain management yeah. groups. And they, we had to go every year to these pain management sort of symposiums that were worthless. And I will never forget the first one I went to. The head of the pain management at this institution I went to stands up and goes, funny thing about chronic pain patient. He puts up uh, the, the incidence of, of childhood trauma, sexual and physical abuse in these chronic pain patients, 98%. Wow. Anyway, let's figure out how to use methadone on these people. I'm, I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. You're going right. to just overlook that? And, and yeah. the guy – the other thing about the pain management world is initially they were psychiatrists. Uh-huh. They were psychiatrists trying to figure out what the experience of pain was and try to figure out – they had multiple modalities and neurobiofeedback and physical – and they used lots of different team approaches to tra- right. treatment of chronic pain. Yes. The the new crop that came in thought that was insane. The insurance companies thought that was insane because just give them a pill and that's all they need. So the insurance right. companies stopped paying for pain And that was, I believe – a crucial moment because these doctors were under a lot of pressure. Whether they believe this or not, they were still being pressured to behave as if they did. And and, and there's an epidemic supposedly of pain and all this, and pr- our pa- patients were demanding. Uh, and and meanwhile, the, the insurance companies were cutting back on what they were reimbursed for. So acupuncture and a variety of jobs. Would not cover it. They will not. And, and what that meant was these docs were faced with – all these pressures on one side, the pain patient saying, please, i got to have this crying sometimes, a very very emotional Intense, yeah. situation. And they really were left with only one tool, and well, that was the narcotic well, uh, painkiller. And because the pain patients often have childhood trauma that changes how pain is regulated and perceived, they're difficult, very, very challenging Exactly. They, 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 managed care was, uh, was part of the, the issue as well because uh, a lot of primary care docs, they're, they live by just churning patients through. You don't have time. Time is of the essence when you're talking about pain. And you really need to spend time listening to pain patients yep. and, and then uh, very carefully adjusting yep. with a wide, variety, wide array of possible uh, mm-hmm. strategies. Mm-hmm. And all of that was gone. They lost time. They lost the strategy. Really, it all boiled down to lost the training. No one was trained exactly right. So you get twelve minutes with a patient. What are you going to do? Here's the pill because you know what? Here's the pill. Pill is the answer. You're being told this is it, and now we've got the great. Now we've got we've got Opana, and we've got we got all these great pills. And oxycontin came along, and that was like this this uh, revolutionary idea. You you made you made a lot of oxycontin in the book. I thought Opana was worse, which was this Uh long acting morphine. That was more of a problem in in my world. The thing about oxycontin that was different. They initially tried to sneak it out as not. Addictive, and I, I, I remember I chased them out of my office. I said, Get the fuck out of here! Yeah, Are you kidding me? Not addictive opiates. Stop it. What's interesting about that company, though, is that these were years when the, the also it's very important to understand that the mid nineties were years when the pharmaceutical sales industry was that Developed. profession was radically changing. Yeah. It used to be a lot of very older guys, fairly dull, very slow moving, but. They really knew their stuff. They knew how pills worked. They, yeah. they, they had studied it. They were ex-pharmacists, mm-hmm, some of them. Mm-hmm. And then the 90s were years when, uh, were all, when all that changed. And, and 
They brought in the hot chicks. Everybody and, was yeah, young. Nobody yeah. really knew much about the pills. They learned what to say. What they did know how to do was sell and give away, give away stuff. So yeah. we went from the companies began to hire more and more and more yeah. of these guys. And by uh, so the early 1990s, we had something like 35,000 drug sales reps in America. Within the, by the end of the decade, we had more over 100,000 of these guys. And they didn't really know what they were selling, but they knew how to – how, well, they were to, given. Sell. They were also given a whole array of selling materials. Right, exactly. They, they, they just learned. They took seminars and they how to sell. They drove me crazy with that stuff. Now I won't let them in my office, and, I, and I'm surprised that anybody does anymore. I, they, I, well, you know, they are paying a very high price for abusing that uh, that privilege of of meeting with the doctor. The older guys would never didn't abuse it. They were part of the community. They I would ask at, them for literature back in the day. I'd say, Hey, you got any publication? Can you give me the primary literature? Many and I doctors. Want, I, I would literally that. say I want head to head study against what I'm using. Now, if you say you have a better drug, show me a head-to-head study. Yeah. I'll read it, and then right. they would bring them. Right, it would exactly. help me in my literature. And they, they knew they they were became an asset, kind of a resource yes. for, for yes. docs. I used to, they used to they used to provide the speakers for my residency. It was considered an yeah. ancillary, you know, hand in glove sort of relationship where they right. and and no and we. We always wonder why they would pay for it because I would choose these speakers and I would say, "Don't mention whatever drug you're representing. You're not allowed to mention it." And they wouldn't. Yes, right. I mean, no because problem. because the long term relationship was what they valued. They yeah. were in the community. Yeah. They weren't like there for six months and moving on right. to a bigger territory. They were deacons in the church. You know, yeah. they were they were chamber of commerce members. They they went to the little league and high school football games and all that. And then that whole industry just radically changed through yeah. the nineteen nineties. Now. All the companies were doing that, but yeah. Purdue stands out because it was using those strategies and those people to sell a narcotic, yep. Yep. Uh, a narcotic as well, if it was remember, non-addictive. But they had a whole bunch of evangelicals, I'm, but I'm that I mean tens of thousands of doctors saying this is the best, this is the second coming. Right. This is gonna mm-hmm. this is gonna transform the, the the phenomenon of human suffering. Sure. And, yeah. any, and anybody who does not do that is cruel, a dinosaur. I was called so many things. Yeah. Cruel, dinosaur, it dangerous. It became almost a – my religious, understanding – Religious. I, yes, it exactly. Became religious. It was like I literally, this zeal, this mission. I, I, I can't tell you the, conver- the conversations I had. You can't right. imagine it. Right, right. People – when I'd start to bring stuff up and people would look at each other like, like he's not enlightened. Like he's not part of he's not he's he he'll right. Sunday he'll see the light right. he just he just doesn't know from what well that was that he was part of how does. you change a culture you be, you begin to start you know Ugh. cocktail parties everyone kind of accepts the the conventional well, wisdom and is afraid happening. to kind of go against here's it. what was happening to me I, and this was uh-huh. this was going on for fifteen years yeah patients would come in they the chronic pain patients became a bad patient when the when the pain doctor found out oh my god they're also drinking they're also doing cocaine yeah. or they're finding some other opiates from somewhere else sure. Bad patient, go see Dr. Pinsky. I get them. They're, they're opiate addicts. I take them off the opiates. When they come in the door, they say the same thing every time. How bad is your pain? 11. <laughs> Never under 15. Well, okay, Usually whatever. <laughs> Hang on a second. Um, and uh, I would take them off. They'd have a terrible time. It would be a bad withdrawal, and they'd have increasing their pain after about five to seven days, depending on the patient. That would all settle down. Right. We'd get them through it. Of course, they'd be the unhappy face all the way down, right? They'd be the, I'm miserable, I'm miserable, I'm miserable. And of course, departmental health get on my case. My administration would get on my case. I'm like, they're detoxing from freaking opiates and they're a chronic pain patient. What do you expect them to experience? Yeah. But we can manage it and treat it. I also, by the way, never thought to myself, how am I ever going to take opiate patients off opiates? I never had a problem, not one. Uh-huh. I did not need a Suboxone. I did not need methadone. It was not a problem. Just a tapering. 
No, uh, not tape. We had all kinds of cold turkey potions. We, okay. We, we had right. a lot of different things we used that worked very, very, very well. I see. Did not need anything else. Yeah. And so this, these, these guys were some of the worst detoxes. And at about day five, they would, A, not remember the withdrawal, not remember how much complaining they had. They would really just not even perceive it anymore. Sure. About seven, two weeks in, they would stop talking about pain entirely. Pain patients, when you're around them on opiates, that's all they can talk about. Right. And when evoked, when you'd go to them and evoke and say, how's your pain, which they would not bring up on their own, they go, yeah, it's about a five. Yeah. Without exception. Mm -hmm. Now, those patients would then go out in the world. They're drug addicts. They are sometimes in secondary systems like workers' comp and things where they have to see those same doctors again. The doctors would go, why didn't you do what I'm telling you? What do you mean you still – of course you still have pain. You need these medicines. And they'd be dead in a month. Yeah. Right. Because they would not just put them on the opiates, they'd also put them on a benzodiazepine. Well, yeah. And that's the deadly combination. Yeah, sure. That's very, uh, and, very and now they're finally saying, oh my gosh, everyone on chronic opiates has a sleep disturbance. Yes, they all do because they're in chronic withdrawal. That's also why they have back pain. The back pain is from opiate withdrawal. Mm-hmm. And they have hyperalgesia. The drugs make intensify the pain. Intensify the pain. Yeah. And if you're an addict, well, now you have that going too. Right. So it's all going. It's a terrible syndrome and yeah. it's being drastically And it's all over the – what's amazing is because was so many co- doctors were pushed or dove into it or, or very reluctantly pushed into it, whatever the case. There are many, many cases yeah. all across. Uh, it, that is why it's, it's – it was simply a, a, a cultural shift that, that ended up um, you know, in every corner of the country. But what's really amazing. horrific about it, to this day and throughout yeah. the whole thing – there was never good clinical science that suggested that yes. opiates were an adequate treatment for chronic pain. Right. And I think that's what they're finding is that actually for a lot of afflictions, it really isn't. Is, it's worse. Is, it's it not. It, it doesn't it's, work it's, or it never, makes it, it worse. It never yeah. had data that showed that it work. I, I saw some of the most insane documents come out of medical societies where they would say, you know, there's no evidence, no clinical studies have shown yet that chronic pain should be treated with oral opiates. Therefore, let's figure out how to use them safely. <laughs> it doesn't work, guys. Right. A, yeah. Why are you even using them at all? No. It, now, you know, an Amazing. old lady with chronic pain that takes three Vicodin a day or even 12 Vicodin a day, fine. Yeah. But the person that's on escalating opiates and the pain is getting worse, you know what you're into then. It's yeah. not treatment of the pain. And that's where most of them ended up. Yeah. There's another little, little wrinkle in this, too, that you didn't know about. And I gotta, I've got to tell you this. Uh-huh. So here's here part of the insurance scam. Uh-huh. The way the insurance companies did their thing was you would you would have something called doctor to doctor reviews. So so they started squeezing down my length of stay to a day. Right. And after a day, somebody who's screaming in horrible opiate withdrawal, they go, "I'm sorry, you have to talk to the doctor." You get it? that means they want the patient out now. That's what that means. So I talked to another doctor. I describe everything that's wrong. They go, "Yeah, we'll give you one more day. Get them out." So you get two days for somebody that should be in, frankly, six months. Yeah. So two days. And I have to go to the patient to go, look, I'm sorry. If, if you stay, you're going to incur a lot of expense. The insurance wants you out. They call the insurance. Mm-hmm. The insurance goes, well, Dr. Pinsky, if he just told us what you needed, of course we would do that. Right. He's not telling us the right things. Yeah. Their criteria for stay. So they split the doctor and the patient. They then, uh, you know, we and we used to find ways to treat them and sort of you know outpatient in all kinds of settings to try to try to utilize their resources as best we could. But they would incur expense and then start saying, "I got to go. I, I can't for this." So yeah. we discharge them. Let's say the patient goes home and kills himself. The insurance company goes, "We don't discharge patients. That's Doctor Pinsky's name on the discharge. There, we don't. We didn't do that. Well, what, why? Why are you looking at us?" Okay, so the patient never would have been discharged without the restricted insurance resources. 
when you go and complain about it, mm-hmm. you become a troublesome physician yeah. and, and they start threatening to decertify you and then threaten to decertify the entire hospital. So your hospital yeah. will come down on you right. and say, how can you talk to these insurance carriers like that? It's an insane yeah. system. Yes, right. And, it, and it's I, so I, insane. I felt the um, – another thing that went into it that seemed to me um, – Kind of a good idea at one point and then morphed into a really bad one where all these um, Prescani scores, these doctor evaluations. A, a patient, patient satisfaction scores. Uh, drug addicts come in and they become a them, lever to extort yeah, more pills that's from, right. a, from a doctor. To this day, that's happened. That's like, and I think they've run their course really as, a, as any kind of a, uh, attempt to actually glean any real data from the, from the visit. It's, 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 more, not, it's not, the, it's <laughs> not a uh, – what do you call like a hotel? You know, what do you call those – Organizations. It's, yeah. it's not a, a a place where you know it's not not residential services. It, it's right. medical care, right. and sometimes it's painful, and sometimes it's miserable. I want to welcome True Niagen to the show. True Niagen is a dietary supplement designed to boost a key cellular resource called NAD, nicotinamide adenosine dinucleotide. A lot of research being done today. I've had my eye on it for quite some time, and NAD is preliminarily looking to be amazing. Some very promising result. It is preliminary, but boy, the results are intense. So much so, I take it myself. What's exciting is the research indicates that NAD may potentially help with cellular metabolism, regulate, help regulating circadian rhythms, even hopefully they may slow the effects of aging. So I dig that. While these studies are all, again, early, the science is impressive. I've been watching it very carefully. The biohacking community has gotten into this research I've been intrigued by the possibilities surrounding NAD and the research behind True Niagen. I suggest you check out their website. Do your own research. Check it out for yourself. In June, I spoke with the company's chief scientific advisor, Dr. Charles Brenner. It was on this podcast, and it was a really interesting conversation that piqued my interest. The possible applications for this product seem really quite impressive. Definitely check out that episode. And again, do your own research. To learn more about the research in science and the True Niagen supplements, Visit trueniagen.com, that's T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N.com today. Hey, it's summer, and boy, you can get dehydrated. Look, I'm telling you, be careful, especially if you're older, or especially if you're exercising outside. And sometimes, well, often, water alone is not enough. Stay on top of your hydration with Hydrolyte. It is the proper way to stay hydrated with the right balance of sodium, glucose, and water. Hydrolyte, I'm telling you, does this better than sports drinks and certainly better than water alone. You've got to understand, water is part of hydration, but the solute in the water is what is really replacing the fluid. Hydrolyte is the best oral rehydration product I've ever tried. I intended to invent this myself because I knew there was a need for it, and they they died. They got it. It comes in great flavors like orange berry and lemonade, available in a pre-mixed drink, a powder, or what I prefer, these effervescent tablets. Just drop in a glass or a bottle of water, and there you've got a rehydration product. Compared to sports drinks, Hydrolyte delivers up to four times the electrolytes with 75% less sugar. That's right, four times more with 75% less sugar. The solutions are appropriate for all ages, and each bottle or package includes easy-to-follow dosing instructions. And look, if you're dehydrated from exercising or the heat or vomiting or whatever it is, check it out, Hydrolyte at Rite Aid or at Hydrolyte.com. For limited time, our listeners save 30% on Hydrolyte. Just click the banner on my website and use the code DRDRAW18 at checkout. That's Hydrolyte, H-Y-D-R-A-L-Y-T-E.com. Dr. Drew, 18 at checkout. All right, you probably are confused by a lot of the terms. And when you go to buy a car like MSRP and whatnot, well, what you really want is the true price, and that's now what True Car has. They have the true price. It's meaningful. It's not just a bunch of words that you don't understand. You can know exactly what you're going to pay for the car you want. It includes 
fees and accessories before you ever get to the dealership. True Car Dealers will tell you the true price on the car you want, and it's all from the comfort of your home. You see that scattergram? That's how you know it's a great price. You see what others paid for this car you want. And your True Car certified dealers know you're looking at the various prices, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. Again, true price is everything, all in. So you know exactly what you're going to pay. And when you lock in that price, you know it's for an actual vehicle on the True Car certified dealer's lot. You know exactly what you're buying. And when you're ready to buy new or used, don't forget used cars as well. It's simple. Visit True Car and you'll enjoy that more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. But, but people, needed. but people figured out that if they gave the do- if they threatened or or gave a doctor a negative, that after a while that doctor would either be gone or would learn the lesson and, yes. and start prescribing well, the correct. pills that, that that they were what told. The and the, and the, the and Jayco would come into a hospital and ask the question, "Well, how are you treating pain?" What they really meant was. How many? How are how are you battering down the pain to zero? Yeah. Which is an unrealistic expectation yeah. uh, so often yeah. uh, in, uh, in in medicine. We just we just have that expectation as Americans, and I think it's a shame. And it's what got us into into this whole problem. I mean, think me. about it. Ninety percent of the opiates prescribed on Earth are being prescribed in this country, it's insane. And, and then people still want to argue there's not a problem. I know, there there's still people crazy. that claim it's not that we're, they were going down I the right think path. What, a lot. What I've, I have to say, what I've heard is uh, just being on radio talk shows or a different uh, on Facebook, what have you, is that um, uh, we are, uh, uh, the, the, the folks who are causing the problem are, um, you know, street addicts and, and this kind of thing. And I'm like, no, well, uh-uh. you know, a lot no. of these folks are not that way. This is, uh, there's some of that. That's but not there's, true at all. There's a lot of folks who, it, in fact, we've created a whole new, accidents. Yes, yeah, so we've created a whole new category now uh-huh. of non-addicted, severely dependent patients that right. look like drug addicts that when you cut them off the opiates, they don't have addiction They're anymore. Fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which yeah. I never used to see that ever. Right, right, right. right. Usually, right. when somebody got strung out an opiate, it's because they're drug addicts. Well, I had this one doctor tell me one time. I thought it was a very interesting uh, comment. He said, "You know, he was an addiction specialist outside uh, Columbus, mm-hmm. Ohio, and he said um, my theory, and it's only a theory. I don't have any data to back this up, but that what what ended up happening was this whole thing caught up all these people who would have been alcoholics." Oh yes, and oh, and, yes. and twenty years ago, yes, twenty yes. years from now, they come true. to me because alcohol had taken its toll over a twenty-year period. They mm-hmm. lost jobs, lost family, what have you. Mm-hmm. And and in this case, though, they're, it's like they're instead of this gradual decline, they're falling right off a cliff yes. within and three to and five they, years. And they may, know? by the way, the alcohol they might have controlled, or they might have yeah. moderate disease. Right. This is severe disease rapidly. Exactly. So I just looked on my thread, yes. my my Twitter thread. Sure. This popped right up. See the kind of crap I get all day long. Just because I, I'm, I. What do you say? Uh, okay, I'm seeing fellow chronic pain sufferers dying because they are cut off from the me- medication that has allowed them to live a somewhat normal life. So he's reading. He's reading a tweet that just came up today. Uh, I'm seeing fellow pain chronic pain sufferers die. No, you're not. Uh-huh. No one dies of coming off opiates, and no one dies of pain. Mm-hmm. No one. Now you might commit suicide, or you might have severe withdrawal, or you might have a heart attack and withdrawal, or something like that. But you're not dying from inadequate treatment of pain. Okay. That does not happen. Uh, and by the way, it's, if, if there was evidence that the opiates were a good treatment for pain, I would never say this. Mm-hmm. It makes things worse nearly 100% of the time. Uh-huh. I would never advocate for suffering. Right. 
Right. It's like right. The, we wouldn't be having this conversation if it was even a marginal. What, what I think treatment. also, though, is the problem is that we still don't have insurance companies, by and large, on board with providing, uh, reimbursing, I should say, uh, uh, for a lot of these other treatments that can a doctor can then help well, people what, you what know, along, finally, along that at the, path. At the last California Society of Addiction Medicine conference, they finally. We're starting to talk about the fact that if you don't treat the trauma and the pain patients, the pain's not going to get better. Yeah. Well. And they were talking about how you can't treat the trauma if they're on these opiates. And there was presenting some data. Oh, interesting, yeah. And they were sh- presenting some data that showed, you know, when you treat the trauma, this stuff really does get better. And the, so the psychological trauma of a person's back, childhood uh, life. trauma, yeah, childhood right, trauma. Exactly. sexual abuse, physical abuse, neglect, All that, that yeah. kind of stuff. Sure. And and it, it's it, and now we're we're beginning to understand how the body is a source of unregulated and and disorganized information, mm-hmm. and a part of the brain called the insular cortex picks that up as misery and, and chaos. Yeah, and that's different than pain. Yeah, but it's part of the pain experience. Yeah, and it's part that that gets worse, a lot worse, under the influence of opiates. Yeah. So yeah. isn't that interesting? I, I find the, it, yeah. The all very that's thing. The I'm a layman. You know, I'm a crime reporter by training. <laughs> no, uh, that's how I got into this, this um, yeah. because tra- tracking down heroin and traffickers and that kind of stuff. But as I got into it, I began to, you know, I began to learn. It was a big, steep learning curve, but I found it fascinating to – and then I began to read these studies. I, I remember the first time I read a study that said that back pain was really not treated well with opioids. It was a, just a not a good – uh, 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 a treatment, and that there were other things, and but, but part think, of them were like about, Pilates and that kind right. of stuff. And think, but think it. about how you have to qualify it. It is not a treatment for back pain. It right. is just not categorically yeah. not. Right. It's not. Right. Well, it's just not. No, it is not. It right. makes it worse. Period. Mm-hmm. End of story. If you have a severe back pain today and you can't walk and you need it to get through a couple of days while you loosen up, great. Yeah. But after that, but months and months and what have bad, you, bad and escalating treatment. doses and what have bad you, all treatment. That, all bad that. I know. Treatment. It's, so I, I began. That was my learning curve. Honestly, I, I knew a lot about rural Mexican villages. <laughs> I did. Which is I, 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 got, I learned a lot books from you about too. Mexico. I lived yeah. down there ten years. But then then I began to realize I can't really write about that without writing about what we're talking about now because that ignited the whole yeah. whole uh, whole that the, the pill thing. And, and I, I've 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 also uh, been been fascinated by why we would want to um, believe that we, we are entitled to a life free of pain. Why? We, we had an epidemic of childhood trauma. Yeah. We really did. Mm-hmm. And people were looking for it to solve it. Yeah. They, they, were, they were trying to get better. And the patients were desperate. And the doctors were ignorant. And that's a bad combination. Uh, it, it really well, is. Yeah. It, we, we really went through a, a window of about 20 or 30 years of, of just unbelievable childhood trauma. You don't think it also has to do sometimes with, with this idea that me- Americans got used to the, the thought – that um, that medicine could pretty much cure almost yes. a- anything. It solved all problems. All the, all yes. and, and and we got used to these drugs that absolved us from the consequences of our worst behavior. You know, statins, for example, is just one yeah. example where I, where I, no matter how badly you eat or yeah. don't exercise, we have a pill that'll. Help I was you around out. during a lot of this evolution. It, it's sort of like it started with surgery. Like we can uh-huh. get it all. We can get it out. We can solve anything. We go in and we can right. fix it. And that that is still excessive enthusiasm to this day. That's right. excessive, right. way excessive. But then went from that to these magical medicines. Medicine we couldn't do a lot until like the fifties, right? right? We right. have antibiotics even. I mean, sure. so all of a sudden we can cure infections. All of a sudden we can do a stroke. All of a sudden we prevent stroke and yeah. atrial fibrillation. Right. And and it just evolved to the point where we just should be able to do everything. Yes. And and not only, but the the idea that we should also have 
no ordinary misery in our life. Exactly, discomfort and of any, no ordinary misery is a weird. Kind of, I mean, I, I know it is, it, 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 just, and that it, I think that's what I began to realize as I got further into this story. I thought this was a story about drug trafficking and pharmaceutical marketing, the yeah. twin tales, and then I began to realize, no, you know, there's these deeper things about American culture, maybe about human nature, about what we expect from life, and we began to expect the uh, unrealistic. But I, things. but. But there have got to be other periods of history where it's been like this because I don't ever think so because we've never had medicine like to, this to, like yeah. we had. Yeah. You know, You're in right. the past, morphine was a magnificent thing for a Civil War soldier. You're going to get your but we, we as doctors off. created another epidemic then in 1890. It, that's that's true. And, but I'm, well, I'm, I think we were not so far along in, in, but, but in medicine. You're right. Cure every little. You're, you're right. Thing. But think about it. It was because the hypodermic needle and, mor- yeah. and morphine sulfate, and that sure. off it went. Yep. And and yep. we yep. as doctors, we get so taken with the idea of taking away we, we're in it to fix people and help people and yes. it's just it's very compelling you know the other thing that was fa- fascinating um, I encountered a guy who said he had I can't remember ex- the details of this he said uh, I, he'd done a study about doctors and why they got into medicine yeah. and so many docs get into medicine because they want to help yeah. they, they, they get almost the validity uh, personal almost emotional yeah. validity oh, from purpose. yeah yeah a, a happy patient, someone who feels yes. that they've been, you know, and that, that they even if you don't start with that, you you learn, you learn about that. Yeah, to be listen. That. The first time you push morphine, somebody's in pain. It's satisfying. You, right. You've helped that person. I mean, and that this and that the, the, I think the pharmaceutical companies may have understood that as well. That they that this is a way of making sure everybody leaves happy. Yeah, and you can, and what's more, you can end a twelve minute appointment. With a patient running out happy because you just gave him that prescription, it, pulled out it, the prescription pen. Were you the one that said, and maybe you're in the book, that said there's nothing that ends up appointment That's what I said. A prescription exactly. Pad. And I, we all know that's true. <laughs> well, yeah, no, people don't. Know. They boom, don't. Boom, we boom, we know that. Done. We know that. They don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it's a fa- Well, I learned that. I wouldn't have said I, I knew it on the and, way. And, and think about it. I mean, if you're a non-surgical doctor, that's all you have is your prescription pad. That's it. Right. You have your right. you have your psychological interventions. Yeah. You know, you have your relationship with the patient, which sure. we have no time for, <laughs> which we've lost track of that entirely. Of course. We have physical therapy and things like that that we write a prescription for. But ultimately, all we have is pharmaceutical intervention. I mean, that's yeah. what we do. And you know, the problem is, too, I think, that we lost the most important commodity with a doctor as American health, uh, health consumers, and that is time. Just the, the ability for the doctor just to sit for yeah, 20 minutes, no half hour, no and way. listen yeah. and listen. I had yeah, one but, doc but, tell but me that's that, why all the other paraprofessional stuff stepped in, the chiropractors, because yeah. they would spend time. Yes, exactly. And they get paid for their time. Right, it was right. weird. The, they the would primary care docs just all of a sudden no. became like a churn factory. Just well, boom, boom. One said you what? Now you're saying one doctor said. Uh, he said, um, uh, I used, I lived, I, I went to medical school in the 1970s. He told me, he said, um, back then we learned we were health uh, educators and, yeah. and, and our job was to sit with the patient yeah. and, and tell them about the constraints and the, and the possibilities of the body and how to best care for their body. And, oh, and then uh, we lost that time and what we really became was caterers. We simply catered to the whim. Yeah. Of, of the patient and yeah. didn't really give them the bad news sometimes. Well, you know? I think the uh, drug companies certainly learned that because the, doctors, yeah, yeah. the patients come in now and say, I want the purple pill, I want the blue pill, I want this, Oh, I want that, that stuff, whatever yeah. the yeah. hell those ads are. And they're I mean, very unhappy if you don't give them that. Right, exactly. No yeah. more, more, more than an antibiotics where it's like, I, you know. That's what doctors, the same doc said, I think, th- I, I think the change I felt uh, was when I first began to see patients coming to me with f- 
requesting antibiotics for cure of the common cold, symptoms of the common yes, they, cold. They, Nobody want to just demanding sleep. It. Yes, exactly. Demanding sleep it. and drink more fluids and five days you'll be fine. No, the they want to boom. Knocking out an infection. There's no such yeah, thing of knocking out a viral infection. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. no, no. <laughs> you, get, you get better in five days with the antibiotic, you get better in five days without the antibiotic, except the biosphere <laughs> is harmed. They don't care. Yeah, no, they that's that, and, and that attitude. Um, he was he's in a Rust Belt town. This one doc, and he said, you know, the, the other thing was, we I my first patients, the first fifteen years of my practice, a lot of them were older guys. They were the great generation mm-hmm. folks. They're retiring, mm-hmm. former glass workers, some coal work, miners, and they never complained about anything. These guys would be in horrifying pain, and then they'd come see me. I go, why don't you come see me a year ago? Yeah. Well, I didn't want you to think I was complaining, doc. Right. You know, yeah, and no then it became. No, I want to be seen now. I want to be diagnosed now, and I want to be cured now. And because I have some some issue, it, it was a a cultural change that he perceived very. There clearly. still is a, a weird lack of understanding presently that we're biological. The total denial that we're a biological entity. That we yeah. their denial of aging. Yeah, massive denial of aging. It's still yeah. come valley. They're going they're going to live. You've been around. You know, you're going to live to 140. It's like, come around a nine year old. Spend some time with a nine year old with me. See if you want to spend 50 years like that. <laughs> it's right. insane. Yes. No. I know. And then all of that. What surprised me or, 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 or fascinated me was that all of these larger issues played a part. You know, it was like it began to question. Well, well, if 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 these pills are big part of what they they must have, we must try to understand how we attain happiness. Because that's what people are looking for, you know, uh, the euphoria, yes. this, per, this temporary euphoria, and and uh, and these big issues like uh, our own isolation, really, yes. as, as 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 a culture, and and so our what's demanding. Your syn- that synthesize we be, it. What's your synthetic sense of all this? What, what? I, I, my feeling is that we began to believe we, be, we we became culturally extraordinarily isolated from each other. Mm-hmm. You know, we lost the community banks. We lost the community parks. We 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 didn't. We all moved Bowling to the alone. suburbs. Remember that book, Bowling that was, Alone? Absolutely. That yeah. that was a big part of this. I wouldn't have said that at the beginning of my research. As time went on, I began to think, "Oh man, God, this is yeah. this is this is big," you know. And yeah. we began to believe that we were entitled to a life free of pain. I believe that part of it may have had to do with winning the Cold War. We just wanted to kind of kick back. And not be bothered with the world's complications, and um, and believe that we're kind of like uh, entitled because we we're Americans, and you know we're kind of uh, exceptional, and all this kind of kind of began to be part of what I saw was a larger story about uh, destruction of community in many ways. Could be in the Rust Belt, you know, the the jobs go abroad, uh, the the town aban- uh, empties out, Main Street dies, or it could be. Uh, nifty little suburbs uh, that we have around us here in Southern California, you know, where, where nobody walks on the street. You don't know who's next to you. That's yeah. prosperity, supposedly. There's yeah. drenching isolation, and that's prosperity. We, we think that's something to, to attain. That's a goal to, to, to try, strive so, for. So I think the families became very unhealthy, too. And, and fa- oh, yeah, the families yeah. were just thought of, yeah, just another way. Kids, we don't really need families. Suddenly, families became devalued. They yes. become unhealthy. Sure. Children were abused like crazy. Divorce was Divorce a, a real happened. serious problem. Yep. And, and so all this stuff was happening all at once. And and also, I think simultaneously with that, we sort of – you're saying we devalued community, but I think we devalued relationships entirely. Well, I mean, that's part of community, right? I mean, yeah. you, 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 we devalue the, 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 the being outside with each other. The time you know? with the doctor. Right. Didn't matter. You, no, you, no, no, all of that. We, yeah. lost, we lost time with the doctor, we lost, we, and we stopped – 
uh, doing, uh, you know, things like uh, the the yearly physical, the wellness idea that the the lost yes. lost val- validity, and, and certainly in a lot of the uh, the American culture, it seems to me, mm. and all of this was was part of it. And then we built, we, like we we didn't fund what brought us together, and we funded what. What separated us? So we funded big box stores in suburbs where no mm-hmm. one knows each other, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that kind of thing. That's why I named the, the, the book Dreamland. It's named for uh, a, a pool that once existed oh, yes. in a small town in Portsmouth, Ohio, which was, a commu- it was really a community plaza. It's where people came together. They swam all day long. It was, it was the town babysitter, lit- almost literally. You just drop your kid off at 9, pick him up at 5, going to be fine. Everyone watching everybody else. The cycle of life. I loved how people would say, you, 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 would, you would start as a toddler, and your mom would be with you in the shallow, and then you'd be drop, drop, jumping off the diving board when you're in high school. Your mm-hmm. mom would be out somewhere in the, in the fields around the pool, and then you'd, ha- you'd lose your virginity out in those pools. Your kid would start again. It, would, it was like this cycle of life, and when they just had to dist- knock that down or dig it up, uh, because the steel mill left, the shoe factory, all these diff- factories leave... Half the population leaves. They have to dig it up or replace it with a damn uh, a strip mall with an O'Reilly's Auto Parts for God's sake. Perfect. Sakes. You know, and and what does that do? Nothing. It's just an acre of of, of parking. Um, huh. They they become vulnerable. It seems to me like like we have as a as a culture to to all kinds of uh, uh, pernicious things. And one of them, a main one, is the are the is the, the spread of the addiction to these to these uh, the opiate class class of drugs. And that that town that town was where. They invented the one doctor invented essentially the pill mill. He invented the business model, which said you don't have to do a diagnosis. Forget the MRIs. You don't need to because pain is what the patient says. It says it, it is. is when and it says pain it control is. is what the patient says. Right, it is. and so I'm going to just sell prescriptions. Essentially, is what the 250 bucks in cash, no insurance, and long lines. My waiting room will never be empty. Again, the addiction. They still there was still a position paper recently that said addiction doesn't really exist. Essentially, yeah. uh, so I, it's, it, we're still fighting it. Believe yeah, me. Yeah, although, although it's finally, I think this year it's turning. I really feel perhaps, like it's changed. perhaps. Oh no, no, it is. Believe me. I don't know about the heroin problem, but the, but the pill problem. <laughs> oh, so, which well, is what started all but this. But the problem is that the pill problem has already created this enormous yeah, population of heroin addicts out there that are people who are who are if they're not heroin addicts are perhaps at risk. Right. So um, so now the government's answer to that is suboxone, which is just going to just well, well look the can suboxone down the and methadone. All these things can be helpful. Can be just like used properly. opiate. Painkillers can be helpful, and so it's just how you use it, right. and whether or not. Again, it gets back to the old way of treating pain. You treat one individual with a whole array yes. of strategies. Opioids being part of them, correct? And then you know, um, physical therapy, diet, exercise, yeah. um, acupuncture if it needed it, no, swimming. Right. It's the way I think about suboxone and methadone. They may help us make recovery possible. Yes, they are not the treatment. No, no. Well, but that's the government why has put its stamp on it's the treatment. It's going well, to solve the that's problem. That's why it's called medically assisted. Yes, the, I know. the important word there is assisted. So they have treatment. guys with you know prescribing to two hundred of these patients. I know yeah. what I'm doing. I couldn't handle 30. No, and I of know course. what I'm and doing. And you, you need to provide a whole panoply, a whole wide array of other, co- what I can call kind of community approaches to. Yes, to, relational to, to, approach. Exactly, it's entirely. Yes. You know, I was yeah. in, uh, I was in uh, um, uh, uh, Las Vegas at the VA. The VA was an early adopter of the this strategy, opioid strategy. Replacement therapy. Right, exactly. Yeah. And now it's done a, a real U-turn. 
And now they have these pain clinics. They're fascinating. They have oh, a whole yeah. wing yeah. for acupuncture now. Yeah, yeah. Tai Chi. They have all these. And, and, and guess what? The literature shows it works. Yes. Yeah. No. Except for and, and you need to think a long term. You just, it's not going to work tomorrow. No. It's yeah. not, or, or two weeks from right. now. Right. So it's going to be something pain. that needs to be. Yeah. And, but one, the, the guy said something fascinating. I love this. A very interesting guy. If you get out there, uh, mm. let me know and I'll, uh, you okay. can visit it. Because it's, it's, this guy is very articulate. Um, Alexander Isani is the doctor. The, who runs the clinic, and he said, um, increasingly what we find, though, is that what we're really trying, to, a lot of the guys who come to us, the only trip outside their house that month is when they came to us for the pills. And so more and more what we're trying to do is find ways of them creating community in their lives, and that's how they deal Shocking. with them. And so, they, so he <laughs> said, you know, one of the best ways we've found is that we have... Um, uh, uh, th- th- is through. Th- 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 this is Vegas, and this is vets, right? So motorcycle clubs. Perfect. So motorcycle clubs become a cure for chronic pain. That makes I love that. Man. That was so great. Well, you've seen me talking on TV about TheraWorks Relief, and if you're one of the millions of Americans who suffer from cramps in your legs and feet, relief is in sight. TheraWorks Relief, T H E R A W O R X, is a topical form. Clinically proven to relieve muscle cramps fast, and with daily use, TheraWorks Relief can even prevent muscle cramps before they start. Now, for over a year, I've been recommending TheraWorks to my family, friends, and patients, and the results have been rather amazing. I mean, the testimonies are starting to come in. I just had a patient call me yesterday that her son wants to give it to his his workers because they work on a moving company, and a lot of of his employers are complaining they have cramps, and he tried it, and he liked it. It's the real deal. TheraWorks Relief, it's potentially life-changing product, and it's, it's over-the-counter. No prescription. Underserved communities don't have to see a doctor. They can get it. Just go in and get it off the counter. And I'm telling you, if you're somebody that has cramps because of exercise, now you can exercise or you get nocturnal cramps that disrupts your sleep, that's no good. TheraWorks Relief is my choice for preventing and relieving muscle cramps. Make it yours, too. Get TheraWorks Relief today at select CVS, Rite Aid, and Walgreens pharmacies or at theraworksrelief.com. Talk to your pharmacist. You'll see they're as enthusiastic as I am because for the first time, no pills, just a topical form that rubs in very easily. TheraWorks Relief, experience relief from muscle cramps for yourself. That is TheraWorks Relief for your muscle cramps. We are only one week away from Blinds Galore. Huge summer scorcher sale, everything up to 50% off. Get your free samples now so you'll be ready for that big sale when it kicks off Wednesday, August 1st. Blinds Galore, you'll love these guys. First place to buy a customer. Window treatments online, they know what they're doing. These are not your average window treatments, like on a boxed-up shelf somewhere. These are all custom, hand-built to your specification and measurements. They guarantee you will love them, and they'll exchange it for something else if you do not. They stand by that. We had to do that. Felt guilty, but we got what we wanted. Blades, shades, shutters, drapes, they've got it all. From start to finish, measuring, picking out the perfect window covering, and installing it, they're experts I mean, these guys are great. They're not just experts. They're like designers, and they will help you guide you all, all, every step of the way. So it's really easy, either online or over the phone. You'll be confident with this group. Trust me, Blinds Galore will even set up with free samples, free shipping on top of all the free expertise. Blinds Galore makes it easy to get the 100% custom window treatments you've always wanted. Check out BlindsGalore.com. And during this big, check out BlindsGalore.com during their big summer scorcher sale. When it starts August 1st, let them know I sent you. That is BlindsGalore.com. Summer scorcher, August 1st. You will not be unhappy. If you like my podcast, you're going to like Brandy Glanville. That's right, unfiltered. Brandy Glanville, unfiltered. 
Join her each week as she talks from the inside about pop culture, fashion, and celebrity. She is sharing it with the world. Don't miss it. Don't miss a second. Check out Brandy Glanville Unfiltered at Podcast One and Apple Podcast. Also, remember to rate and review. Because ultimately, I'm going to give my little brush with this. It's about leading a certain kind of life. Yeah, sure. And, and that means other people. And that means service to other people and connection with other people and yeah, filling absolutely. with other people. 100%. That's how humans find meaning. That's how they find purpose. They find everything in other people. Their very self emerges in an interpersonal context. Yeah. And when you've been traumatized, you it fractures and you exit it and you don't go back right. properly. You don't go back closely. And you got to get them back into close relations. That's yeah. all you got to do. That's what they said. This one, He gave this example. This one guy, I didn't name him, but he told me, this one fella, he can no longer actually ride a bike. He's too old. But he loves going to the club meetings and helping guys tinker with their with their bikes yeah. just to figure it and, and to me that, that was the other thing that I heard that was fascinating that, that gets on the same theme exactly I was in New Hampshire uh, talking with a, uh, some There's a uh, lot of research in this book oh well th- this has been all since the books come oh out my talking God. speaking at different oh, places right. I was speaking with some neonatal nurses dealing with the in the ICU dealing with these poor ki- poor little infants who are born shivering and shaking yeah. and screaming because they're addicted to these dope to this dope and they said you know what do you need to ask me kind of rhetorically do you know what these kids need more than anything and I said well I, I confess I do not touch Cuddling. Touch, yeah. That's Cuddling. It. They you, need you understand? To that's and, it. They all go, all and what does that mean? They need community. They need to know that they're not alone, that they're with human somebody connection, else. You human know? connection. You, babies don't really have opioid drugs. You, you know what the treatment is for heroin addiction during pregnancy? Methadone. Yeah. Because when they come out, they don't really have a draw. They have a little something, something, and it's no big deal. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. but the having a, a heroin addicted mom is your problem, not that you have yes. been exposed to opiates in, in utero. It doesn't really do anything. Right. This right. whole business about well, the, the opiate addicted mom means you're not getting any kind right. of motherly attention. So they're calling it the myth attention. of the right. They're calling it <laughs> she's the myth. A, she's enslaved to a, a higher master. The, the myth of the opiate addicted baby has got to be sort of ruptured, so they uh-huh. can understand it's not that the, the baby's opiate addicted that it does anything to the baby's biology really. It's the relationship with the mom that right. has to be dealt with. That, that has to be dealt yeah. with. And, and that's what they're finding. They're finding that they need to have people. They try to keep the mom in the picture as much as possible. Yeah. But a lot of times, again, as I said, these are women who are enslaved. This is an they're enslaving enslaving dragons. substance, yeah. uh, unlike any other, really, and, and I think, the, that human beings and, have encountered. I agree with you. And they are not you, – you, you don't get to see the – maybe you see some of the recoveries as you go around the country, but you don't get to see the transition from – Insanity, yes. a totally disturbed, enslaved person who's sure. every breathing moment is about getting drugs to a recovering person. It, yeah. it's, it's the changes. That's how I got into this field. I saw a couple of those changes. And I was like, oh, Jesus, what was that? You know, that, that, that is the key. You know, in my opinion, right there, what you just said is the key to the rec- economic recovery of a lot of those regions because a lot of those re- regions that are mightily affected by this economically devastated and one thing that has happened is all those young people or youngish people yeah. could be middle-aged people too who would be part of kind of an, uh, an energy mm-hmm. flow that, that would uh, optimistic and positive and forward generational flow yeah. exactly they're all if they're on dope what are they? They're, they're negative. They're yeah. stealing the manhole yeah. covers. Yeah, all this negativity, inertia, fatalism. And then you go through recovery. It's almost like a new end of human being oh, it, has it, replaced. It, it is a new human being. You know, it's, coming, it's just yeah. a, so interesting. And that, that's when you get um, uh, exciting kind of like look to the future, gratitude, um, a whole host Humility. of ideas that really help 
an economic recovery of a certain, uh, nice. certain nice. dope recovery and economic recovery. I've come to believe very, very uh, c- connected. I'm glad to hear that. But you know, the thing about dope recovery, it's still treacherous. You know, it's sure. still it's still sure. get you, sure. and you got to be prepared to kind of deal with the setbacks and things like that that come along. That's why I think a lot of those areas need. I, I was testifying one of the more surreal moments of my life. I testified before the Senate Health. A, com- uh, a help committee, a health. Uh, really, it's the health committee. Uh, Lamar Alexander, Patty Murray, Rand Paul, Elizabeth Warren, all these yeah, things. And I said, uh, uh, I believe that this is uh, an opportunity um, to econo- develop economically the areas that got left behind. Globalization. We need to focus on them, and when, that when you do that. You have an infusion of energy that is essential. No investment can overcome the, the but, lack of that kind of. But unfortunately, the government's taking the position that we just got to give them all suboxone, and that's it. And that well, prevents yeah, what you're talking yeah. about. And that's because, again, you're you're playing into the whole uh, um, idea that that we there's a quick fix. Or the answer is one. You know, it's the same mistake doctors always make with with addiction. It's that we're going to find a pill to fix addiction. Yeah, it will not right. happen. Well, we no, did the same it. thing with pain. We're yes. seeing that yeah. kind of with uh, with with yeah. with uh, with addiction now yeah. too. And I think we need as a culture to get over the idea that there's an easy answer. That there's a silver bullet. Hollywood teaches us that. Uh, soap. I mean, all kinds of places t- things teach us that. And we need to understand that's not how we view view our our. Um, our, our 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 lives. We don't we don't uh, enroll in college and expect to be uh, a bachelor's degree by Thanksgiving, right? You know, easily. Is is there a give me more on your philosophical assessment here on what, where we are as a country? Is there is there a bigger sort of assessment you're making? I, I, I well, I do believe that 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 I think the next. I'll tell you the next book I'm thinking I'm toying with writing, and when I get any time to focus after I've been just traveling and and speaking so much in the last uh, couple of years, is I uh, again, I thought this book was about uh, drug trafficking and drug marketing. Came to believe, really, it's about bigger issues yeah. like destruction of community, yeah. d- isolation, and yeah. that, that, that severing of human relationships yeah. that we we're just talking about. And and I want to write them. Uh, so I don't. I think the book kind of broke the story, and I don't want to write another book about drug trafficking right. or drug marketing and that kind of stuff, the yeah. ins and outs of the health system. What I really want to do is I believe this whole idea of community destruction and, and rebuilding and so on is so important. I want to write stories that are that, that kind of highlight that, that see how we've destroyed community and how we've, been, how we've rebuilt it, how sometimes the rebuilding has, is perilous or, or not always successful. Um, finding stories that are about that. To say this is, you know, I'm on to now one about um, a community banking. I think that, you know, community banking is a, an essential part of, com- of, 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 of vital community because mm. if you don't have those invested. small banks yeah. who are so deeply rooted in, in the yeah, town yeah. or in the county. Wow, isn't it weird that, uh, you know, It's a Wonderful Life was about that? You know, right? and, and, and now we've had we the McDonald's Bank. We have the McDonald's Bank, which is Chase and Wells Fargo and yeah. Bank of America, all these things. They don't know a damn thing. Those people are nice people, but they don't know a damn We're thing about the towns ATMs. where they work. <laughs> They're, They're really just people. ATMs. They're not even people there. And you lose a lot when you lose a community bank. And we lost so many community banks. Um, I was in this one town where they actually, one, one bank survived. And the president That's of the bank was idea. saying, you know, the thing, what you, what you gain with a community bank, you gain, yeah, a very keen idea of what where where the business opportunities are and who to loan to and and that kind of thing that's because you know have the relationships you, you, back you, to the have, relationships you know again. you grew up in the town these folks grew up in the town but the other thing you learn you, you lose when you lose a community bank is giving they are they are far better at giving donating money yeah. to 
Little League and 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 drama, uh, high Think, school drama. Things that make a difference. And, and and the big banks will will donate to the big sexy project. Yeah, those but not to the small I, things that I've make community said that, work. I, you know, with, in terms of making a certain kind of life and making life meaningful, it, it's about having a little skill and doing it for one person. Mm. That makes you much happier than solving sure. the water crisis in Africa. That, you know, it was interesting. Done, I have the same damn feeling. It's amazing. I was talking to this one guy. This fellow comes up to me at a meeting recently. I won't name his name, but he's a, he runs a venture uh, capitalist wow. fund. He's asking me yeah. these things. I'm like, well, how should I get involved? And I, my feeling is always locally, the small, small. things. Don't think that you're sp- – if you think you have to save the world, you're, you're, you're going to yeah. run off the rails. B- believe me, Angelina Jolie's saving of the world is not healthy. No. It's unhealthy behavior. I think it's Good more, behavior. more PR, honestly. It feels PR, like PR. It's narcissistic. It's grandiose. It's wonderful. PR and narcissistic, those are two great. real, yeah. real relational stuff. Somebody gave me a pair of shoes once. That I, I, he was wearing a pair of shoes I liked, and he, he's a recovering guy. And he came back and gave me the shoes, and I was like I – felt, I felt weird, but I, but I felt – I feel like, oh my God, I really did like those shoes. He noticed something about me that I didn't even notice myself. Yeah. And he gave me, and he paid, and he said, he goes, look, I'm staying sober today by paying homage to this piece of you. And I want you to take that. I was like, <laughs> I was flabbergasted. I was like, I was, like, <laughs> I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I had all these funny feelings. And, but I was like, oh, that's giving. That's being, that's exactly. Being giving. And I think it's part of the idea that I think has come to me out of this whole research project, which is to say we need to focus on the small stuff. The Absolutely. small. Well, that's why I think your thing's going to go back to the family. Somehow your yeah, thing's going to get right. back to the family. Right, that's yeah. The, the, and and, and, and it's, it's, we focus on the small stuff. I, I say in, in a lot of times when I'm speaking, there is no solution. There are many small solutions, all, in e, all which need to be kind of tried together, some improved, maybe yeah. a couple of d- discarded. But, to, but, but let's get away from the idea that we have one way to solve yeah. a very complicated problem. We try that with pain. Right, we try. Look where we got us, you know. Right. And and uh, and to me, that and so when this guy was asking me this, I said, find your neighborhood or find a, a, the local folks. Yeah. You know, I had a couple come up who had lost their son, and they were very very um, passionate about doing something. This was in uh, Indiana one time. Uh, passionate about doing something. Oh, and 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 you could I could tell that they wanted to kind of save the world. I said Ugh. just. Speak in your county. Just do, yeah. s- stay in the county. Don't think you have to go around the state. You know, that storm. actually gets dangerous when these they're, they're untreated codependents that still are acting out the codependency on a large scale. It, it, it may be it something of that. I would, didn't know work. them well enough to know, but yeah. I did feel like I think we've, we're, a point, we're at to a point where we really need to think just very locally. And, 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 well, listen, and my, my job, I saw my job, just to understand, to, to how local it got for me. Yeah. I really eventually, other than, man, I was very good at managing the detoxes and the medical problems, all kind of stuff. Right. But I really thought my job was to just get close to that person yeah. and hold the frame and call them out on their bullshit or tell right. them I, I get what they're feeling and get them used to the idea that somebody can do that. <laughs> you know, you know it's it. interesting. That, and that's when it. that guy, t- when that doc said, we lost the most important commodity, which is time. We never, yeah. That, to me, is the same thing as, as destroying a swimming pool. Yeah, you know, it's like, absolutely. It's, like you, it's, you, all you, this, it's all the it's metaphor all, is perfect. The I know, metaphor I implies. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The question it's, it's is, beautiful. how do you build it back? That's what I don't quite well, see. Well, here's the other thing. Other in this town where, where I visited. One pool. No, and swimming pools, everyone's got one now. So swimming pools, maybe that's a very expensive non-starter, I would think. Yeah. But um, 
one, I, I spoke with this uh, at this town, Newark, Ohio, where I spoke with the, uh, the, the, the bank president. And I spoke with other folks there who were involved in, in investment and, and trying to revamp the, re- revive the town. The town went through a kind of a Rust Belt syndrome that yeah. was not as bad as other, some towns, but it was pretty bad. And one woman told me, you know, what we're trying to do is recreate the essence, not the superficial aspects of it. And maybe the swimming pool and the stuff that was uh, kind of Mayberry RFD like uh, 50 years ago. Now what they've got, this is, I think, fascinating. This one town has a co-working space. This is a small rural town in the middle of nowhere, has a co-working space downtown where people come, yes. rent the space, yeah, rent those the are, desks, those are becoming popular. L- learn how to and, – and, well, becoming popular in cities. Yeah. They are not becoming – I've never heard of a small town with a co-working space where people kind of come together to collaborate, help each other with it, their it, business ideas, that it, kind of thing. It sounds wonderful and sounds accurate, but then I start thinking, oh, my God, all these political and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how do we get, hey, you know, how do we get past ourselves? Exactly, and and I don't. You know, the answer is I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm telling you, I'm I'm interested in finding places that are trying things. I'm not interested in saying, "Gee, the world's just the most rosy place" because we're all kumbaya working no, no. together and. Glad, cr- it just gl- feels like there should be potential, hands. though. There should still be potential. Oh no, I think there's yeah. huge potential yeah. to the to the extent that people. Um, in these areas, do something that sounds very Pollyannish, and that's simply just work together. Just come together, learn what come each together. other does. I like the come together because it, it needs to be not, not not just working together, but in all aspects of life coming together. Precisely. And may, I wonder where the faith community was in this too. They should. Oh be no, no. I, every time I speak, I see. Yeah. I say the 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 clergy. You know, everybody needs to be involved in this, and if you guys aren't involved, I, I just don't, I can't figure out why not. I mean, it's, it's such an important role that you have. Yeah. And, and a lot of churches are just now, <laughs> in yeah. the last, say, year, year and a half, trying to figure out their role in this. Because for a long time, addicts will tell you, it's very interesting, they, they were very ironic, they were viewed kind of as lepers in those Christian churches. Oh, you know? I know, yeah, because they're <laughs> like, difficult. Get they're away, hard. you know, you don't dress yeah, nice, that kind I, of thing. I know, those are my peeps. <laughs> so, right. And, and they, they've got it, and there are certain enlightened folks that kind of understand what it is and how to deal with it. Yeah. But listen, we got to wrap this thing up. I could talk sure. to you all day, Sam, I really could. Uh, so we'll look for you. Sam was a reporter for the LA Times. He was obviously uh, the National Geographic graphic uh, you're with orange county register to begin with i find long ago uh follow him at sam or the sam Kinyonis seven is the twitter handle and uh, i really look forward to the next book i can't wait to write it well thanks I, Drew. it's been great uh, yeah. talking with you i really appreciate your interest it, in my I, I, when i nice got in touch with you it was very exciting for me because this book i literally i, I literally it, it took my breath away as i was oh, reading man. I'm, I'm like somebody gets it <laughs> somebody somebody saw what i lived i can't because i can't eat i wasn't finding anybody who would validate my well, experience. for a long time, nobody wanted. No, well, this they was were hidden. condemning this was, me or yeah. not validating what I was saying, and I was right. like, "Oh my God, there it is!" So thank you. Well, so maybe much. we're in a new era now. We'll and see. if you want to find Sam, the last name spelling is Q U I N O N E S. Q U I N O N E S. Right. And uh, I'm hoping we're in a new era in all respects. I, mean, I just feel we'll like that we get through this, <laughs> whatever it is. All right, and I'll see you all next time. Thanks a lot. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. 
The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com.